part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Welcome back to Bustin' Blockbusters. My name's Matt. As always, I'm the guy that annoys you with the music stuff and with my rambling about this show, The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. Today, we're talking about season one, episode five, Partings, written by a couple of familiar names from this series already. Justin Doble and Wayne Chi Yip is the director. We always like to just get our ratings right out of the way so i'm going to turn to my co-host priscilla from priscilla tv on youtube be sure to check it out be sure to subscribe priscilla give us that rating on a scale of one to ten with a double well it's the nine double f's my rating wow uh double f's yeah like fabulous friends you know like Mm -hmm. um this episode, it, it really spoke about friendship in many ways. Like we have false friends, perhaps with Halbrand and, and uh, Galadriel, uh, because mm-hmm. now in this episode we have more reasons to uh, suspect that Halbrand is not a good person, like to begin with. Uh, we have like Elrond and his friends, uh, if you can call them friends like Kelim Rimbor and Gilgalad like pushing pushing him to break an oath which in Tolkien is a very serious business and his best friend forever Doreen uh, like at some point it, it was very strange because at some point I thought that friendship was going to go over mm-hmm. but uh, Aaron proved that he, you know Aaron proved that he's he's indeed a good friend so I was happy as did uh, Durant and for that you know uh although i i do like that duran got a table out of the deal for disa yeah that's the best part of the episode i think (laughs) i enjoyed uh, that as well and i had a rating exactly like yours nine out of ten except i did double a's double a's yeah angry at ours oh Um, makes sense because he seemed really angry when Waldrick uh, said something about he wanted to pledge to Sauron. He's, he's like, um, Sauron? Who the hell Sauron? You pledged to me, baby. Uh, it seems like he's not in league with Sauron anymore. And I am really just overall enjoying this season. I, I know that I've rated some episodes higher, but uh, I still like following the individual storylines. I know that... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of clamoring out there. When are these things going to come together like the Fellowship? And I'm like, this isn't the Fellowship of the Ring. Let these stories breathe. Let's get to know and invest in these characters before we mm-hmm. throw them into some kind of great peril together. Why do they even have to meet up at all for a whole season? I don't care. Uh, although I imagine that they will if the Numenorians are coming to Middle Earth. We'll see some meetings up of some of the characters. But I, I just don't particularly care for that kind of um complaint that i've been seeing a lot on that uh that terrible space that we call the internet so, i also don't get it but uh i think it's more like blaming the the people with like short attention spans you know like again i blame marvel the way they edit their films like you always like pam 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 you know 
always mm. going up, 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 up. So people expect things to be like that all the time. And this is not it. Yeah, well, there's been, even beyond Marvel, there's been a, a long trope of a, uh, action films having a big beginning, a big middle, and a big end, right? And if you <laughs> yeah. don't have those three hills then people don't get interested in it. So Hollywood's been doing yeah. that for a long time, but Marvel yeah. kind of perfected it <laughs> in, in, in a way. Uh, I don't disagree with you there for sure. Uh, nonetheless, our ratings are kind of the mm -hmm. same, but we really want to know what our listeners think about this episode as well. So please tweet to at bust blockbuster on Twitter you can also send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. That's M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. You can uh, leave comments on our website, mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. Or you can leave comments on the Double P Media YouTubes, which is where our videos appear. Uh, this week, if you're listening on the audio podcast, the video portion will not be out until Sunday evening because the millionaire Bubba uh, is off on some kind of expensive trip. Uh, all oh we my God. won't be able to upload our video until uh, he returns and has spent, you know, yet another million dollars that he made on YouTube uh, from you subscribing and liking the videos and commenting on the videos. That's how he makes all the money. That's how he sells those ads. That's how he gets rich. So please subscribe to the Double P Media YouTube by going to youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Or you can just ask them how to subscribe by tweeting to at the word double the letters PHQ on Twitter. That stands for podcast headquarters. You can also find that same spelling on Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double the letters PHQ. That's enough of the podcast business. Let's get into the part that some of you may or may not like. And if you don't like me talking about music, then skip ahead about 12 minutes and 45 seconds. But this is long overdue. We've had five episodes of the season so far, and I haven't said a, even a minute about the main theme other than to say I'll get to it sometime. Well, finally, as Bubba likes to say, I got around to it. Here it is. So it's been a long time coming, naturally, a very long time coming, but it's time to talk about the main theme. We haven't really talked that much about the credits, haven't done much analyzation of it, haven't done much of that. This is the one theme that Howard Shore composed uh, for the series, and it's a wonderful little theme. It's got this motif that I love that makes it so that it can be construed as magical and scary at the same time depending on what kind of harmony you apply to it and that's the key to this because as you know during the credits you hear the very opening part and things seem kind of magical but then when you have the darkness start to flow through all of that it's the music is really using the same bit as the beginning but it's changing the harmonic structure so that it seems scary. And I'm going to try to explain some of that as we go through this. But the theme opens with this. 
so for that very first part, the harmony there that is implied is a C major chord. Major tends to make us feel lighter and whatever. And the second chord is an E minor chord. So it's a typical progression from a flat six to a minor one. You don't need to know any of those numbers. The thing that makes that first chord and the melody that goes with it seem kind of magical, kind of mystical, is the fact that it is the mode that that particular chord plays on in order to resolve to the minor. By mode, I mean that if you take a scale, doesn't matter whether it's major or minor, but you don't start on the note that that scale is named after. You start on any other of note of that scale and go from that position to the same position, an octave higher or an octave lower. That's what we call a mode. So there are seven modes per major scale. And a particular mode that gets employed by the C chord, because it is going to the E minor, is the four position, really, or the flat six position if you're in E minor. Again, those numbers aren't important, but the word that you want to remember is Lydian. What Lydian is, is a mode of a major scale that creates a major sound, but it has one alteration, and that is that the note that is right before the fifth is actually raised by a half step. So it takes the whole inevitability of a suspension out. And because of that, it gives it this kind of unnatural, but not really alarmingly unnatural feel. It's just a feel that it's like, oh, this is this is bigger than a major scale. It kind of makes it feel bigger. And therefore, to us, are in our ears and the way that we're seeing this series and whatever, it, it it's kind of a magical kind of feeling. But it does resolve to the minor there. And what that tells us is that, you know, this is a dark mission. There's, you know, they're fighting evil here. And so, you know, it, it should be taken seriously. So you have this magicalness and this seriousness in the first two chords. Now, the next part, kind of almost changes keys in a way and you have where you had a melody going up now you have a melody going down and resolving to a different minor chord and it sounds like this so once again we're having the melodic shape climb telling us this is something to aspire to, and then it falls, telling us that this isn't going to be easy. And the minor chord there also tells us that it can be kind of a dark journey. I always like to think of a main theme as kind of a mission statement for the show. You know, we're going to give you this. We're going to tell you this, and this is just the broad general outlines of how, and I feel like Howard Shore has done this very well. The other thing to talk about those two prior sections is the timbres. Now, Howard Shore has no shortage of the way that he uses the instruments that are played. That's what I mean by timbres. He likes to take all different kinds of sounds and create different moods with those sounds, with those groupings of instruments. But 
One thing that I love about that opening phrase is that it uses a French horn. A French horn is very unique in the brass family. It kind of sits in its range in between the low brass and the upper brass. And so therefore, uh, it kind of covers that mid-range, that human kind of range. And that's why that instrument is, is so wonderful in this instance, because it's showing us that, uh, you know, there because of the range that it has, it can also create all of these different kinds of sounds itself. But it also typically can be done very with a very kind of mellow kind of sound. And magic and mellowness uh, kind of evokes uh, a almost kind of a Zen state of being. And I love that. But now the descending part, he reverts back to what a lot of traditionalists do, and that's with the strings and the woodwinds and they they are the world that's outside of this kind of like nobility mission that is presented by the french horns now here comes the answer how is this going to affect the world and that's wonder, wonderful in the way that it does that then we get to this developmental section what i call a developmental section where he takes a motive in order to get us from one place to another harmonically. And so it kind of shifts through several keys. It sounds like this. And there's not a whole lot to explain about this, except that it, it just is a, a motif, a little melodic snippet that keeps evolving as so that it, it can get back really to the C chord where it started from. We're in a whole different place when we start, but he kind of shifts through so that we can get to the back to the C chord. And the way he does that is he makes everything shift to a G minor, but at the end he turns that G minor into a straight G chord, which will tonicize, bring us back home to the C chord from the beginning. But once we get to that C chord, this is where the darkness is starting to creep in on the, the screen. And so he does something like I talked about at the beginning of this segment. He takes that melodic, same melodic figure that we had at the beginning that sounded magical and he changes the harmony to minor. And now that odd note is no longer sounding like it makes things bigger. But instead, it creates what we call a diminished sound. A diminished sound actually makes us very tense. Because as humans, we do not like symmetry in our harmony. And a diminished chord is perfectly symmetrical. Everything is three spaces apart over the space of 12. You can have up to four notes, four different notes in a diminished chord, which also makes it uh, very interesting in the fact that most of the time we hear things in our own ears in terms of triads, but now we have four notes and it can create, the reason it creates that ambiguity with the symmetry is because really that chord can exist in about, oh, I don't know, 50 different, well, not 50, in about four different keys and still be the same chord. 
And we don't like ambiguity. We don't like symmetry. And that's why this sounds creepier. Also notice that the timbres have changed. Now we've gone to the lower brass, the trombone, the more brash kind of sound. And if you ever think of like the way that Howard Shore did the Isengard theme or, or the Sauron theme, those used low brass, gritty, splashy kind of sounds. And so that creates helps create some of the fear in it as well. And then finally, he gets back to the original uh, ending that he did with the first part, but he doesn't really change that any. He makes it sound, uh, you know, pretty much the same, the way that this evil that is rising is affecting the world. The other thing to note about the way that this motif at the beginning changes is the fact that it continues to climb. Uh, as we get the first phrase and the second phrase, when we first hear this, it only gets to a certain point and stops. That's the mission. That's the plateau of the mission. How much further can we go? But evil in this world is on the rise. And so the second phrasing is higher than the first phrasing. I've talked a lot about it, but I haven't actually played it. This is what it sounds like. So by making that melody extend even higher, but it's coming from a lower register, we get that sense that evil, the darkness down within, is starting to rise back up into the earth. And then we get the same thing about the effect that it is having on the world at the end with the strings and the woodwinds. So I hope that that explains what the purpose of the main theme is as a mission statement. And hopefully... Uh, you've enjoyed it. I enjoy the piece. Uh, the only thing that it bugs me a little bit about it is the fact that because it is kind of a standalone mission statement, uh, Bear McCurry may have been able to um, take little things from this and use it as inspiration. But um, a lot of his themes seem unrelated to Howard's themes and so there's a little bit of a continuity issue for me but nothing that makes me not appreciate all of the music in this series so far we're back with our recap in just a second Priscilla, are you ready to get into our recap of or a couple of the storylines? You are. All right. Well, let's get mm -hmm. right into it. How about we start with the Harfoots? Uh, Sounds fun. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not necessarily a Harfoot hater this time around, but it seems like the I stranger think, is. <laughs> I, I think, to be honest, the Harfoots, they have so many problems among themselves that it, it's unfair if we... Are hating them on the top of at the top of you know on the top of their problems. Mm, that's probably true. Uh, they got enough mm -hmm. to sort out for themselves. They don't need outsiders. Um, yeah, any kind of outsiders, but they especially don't need outside viewers 
hating on them. So maybe we'll we'll hold off on any any hate this time around. But we start off with the stranger. He's he's learning words, and mm-hmm. once he learns peril, uh, he thinks that he is peril. But Nori says, "No, you're not peril. You're good. You help out." And then we get uh, this when they get called to to tow the wagon. I suppose we get this wonderful double M. Yeah, double M. Yeah, a musical montage. Oh, and so amazing! It was great. It was fun. All the beautiful sights and everything, and and pop. We see Poppy and Nori and the family all struggling to migrate. I guess to keep up with the crowd, who they evidently they've caught up with the caravan because we see them. Uh, a lot later but as they're catching up to the caravan the place where the stranger crashed to middle earth is being investigated by three beings now i have to ask you this priscilla because i saw one turn their head to the side but i couldn't tell if that was an elf ear or if it was just a human ear uh which i would think would be a strong indicator but what who were these people um well they haven't said a word of work uh, and they haven't introduced themselves so i cannot say for sure who are they uh my guess would be that they are members of a cult of morgoth thing that is still going on in middle earth because as galadriel told us in the first episode no like the morgoth servants they they just went into hiding uh, the ones that survived no so i think they are like from this cult of Morgoth, maybe they are aligned with Sauron, no? and they saw the the meteor and they are investigating. Uh, maybe there is some uh, sort of not prophecy, but they are uh, seeing as um, a sign that the mm. Sauron's times is coming, which is something similar to the Harfoots, no? Like they yeah. also have like this kind of thing that. This is not good. The 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 skies are acting strange. So that's my guess. I don't know. Yeah, they certainly. I, I didn't take it that uh, the person who was actually in the meteor was very happy to have found a place. Had kind of a mm-hmm. menacing look on their face. Um, mm-hmm. So can we use that as evidence to say maybe that uh, the stranger is not Sauron? I don't think the stranger is Sauron. I think we should eliminate the stranger as a Sauron candidate. Okay. Uh, Well, it would certainly seem if these people are nefarious and they don't like what they find there, then that means that Sauron or uh, the stranger is opposed uh, Mm -hmm. to whatever their objective seems to be because they did not look happy. None of them look too happy to me. Um, to be fair, I don't think they will ever look happy if they are evil servants of Morgoth, Sauron. Uh, that's the attitude that they have. No? Mm-hmm. Always look a little bit pissed. And, yeah, so. that's, that's very possible. Well, away from there, the Harfoots are now making their way through some wood, wolfy woods. It's a, a double W. And uh, Malva wants uh, Sadak to take the Brandyfoot's wheels and leave them behind. My goodness, what house? That's awful. <laughs> uh, 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 and, and, and because Malva thinks that it ain't just the woods are strange. Um, oh yeah, you know it, that uh, that everything about this whole situation is strange, and they want to get everybody uh, away from the Brandyfoot's as quickly as possible. 
Yeah, we have more of the Harfoots love for each other in this episode. Uh, yeah, Malva. Lots of lots of civil war here going on within <laughs> the caravan. Uh, no time for that now, though. No time. Nori and, and Poppy are approach Malva, um, and they end up getting chased by. I guess these are now wolves. When we first saw them in the first episode. I thought they were wargs, but now we've seen a warg and it looks different from these. So I guess yeah. these are just whatever the Middle Earth equivalent of wolves are. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're running and running and running and they're just about to get eaten. Um, it's just like out of a fairy tale. And then the stranger steps in uh, and he makes an entrance just like a well-timed wrestling show and body slams a wolf and saves the day by striking his hand down to the ground. Uh, mm -hmm. in order to fend them off with some kind of magic that ends up leaving his arm quite hurt. It looks awful. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then uh, later on, as he's trying to heal himself, Nori brings him some beeswax, which I don't know what that does for an arm to help it, but uh, she seems to think it's going to help. Um, but he prefers a self-made ice bath. Mm -hmm. And uh nori is curious about it because you know nori can't keep her nose out of any business and she sticks her hand where she should and it becomes part of and she becomes part of the ice bath uh starting to get froze onto his arm uh he completes the spell and then she is thrown by whatever energy is released at that point mm -hmm. uh, but now she is scared of him uh he didn't even realize that she was there from what i can tell but one, mm -hmm. once uh, he turns around and realizes she's there. He starts to look like he's going to talk to her or, or communicate with her. And she's having none of it. She's getting the heck out of there. And that's all we get from the Harfoots this week. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know about these Harfoots. I'm, I am beginning to, to start put a little bit of hate on them. They don't get along. They have to follow the path, stay safe. But yet um, they're being led through a stretch of woods the woods are strange and i i uh you know nori uh jumped too quickly into a relationship with the guy and now she's uh finding out what who he really is that's what i say uh how mm -hmm. about you what did you think of the harfoot story this time around um well i think there is like a symmetry though with nori starting the episodes like stating that the stranger is good uh, and at the end of the episode she's quite not so sure anymore if he's good or not. Uh, but I think uh, more about the, um, the Halfwoods, uh, their inter internal struggles, it's very, like, you know, they're migrating, so she knows the... She knows the itinerary they are doing, you know, and she mentions the itinerary, and uh, we don't know the names of these places, but what if they are actually going to Mordor? No, nah, like not Mordor, the Southlands. Excuse me. No, nah. what if Mordor they, yet? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what if they are trying to migrate, but they are actually going to the like the the war? Nah? And about the stranger, like if he's a Maya who uh, became becomes like a wizard and it's sent on Middle to Middle Earth on some sort of a mission, as we now think it is happening then i think most uh, many of the, his struggles with his powers is that he is he doesn't know how to behave in a mortal body some sort like he, mm. his body is weakened 
and that's what we see when he is fending off the wolves. He gets really surprised about his arm. He didn't expect to have any effect on his arm. So he doesn't know the language. He probably has some memory loss and the body is not what he expected to be. Maybe you gave Uh, me this vessel. You sent me down here in this vessel. Look look at this piece of crap. I can't, I can't do anything with this. That's what he's saying. But he shows regret about the, uh, the situation he's putting Nori and her, her family. And he is trying his best. No, so I would give him a vote of confidence. Nori, please come back. Yeah, Nori, please come back. Uh, give him another chance. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though you jumped into this relationship way too soon, way too quickly, way too eagerly. Uh, you know, now that you've worked out a friendship, you need to give it a chance to continue to develop and let him explain himself um, mm-hmm. as soon as he learns some more words other than peril. So, <laughs> uh, at any rate, let's move on to Lyndon. This is going to be one of your favorite storylines, I'd imagine, just because it's got a dwarf in it. Uh, we know how much you love dwarves. Uh, and mm-hmm. Durin has joined Elrond and Celebrimbor Kelebim- to dine with Gil-galad. Uh, the king is curious about Khazadun's productivity, even though Elrond tries to dismiss it. It's like, you know, I, I blinked an eye and 20 years had passed and Durin's kids had grown up. But Doran is more offended by the king's dinner table. Um, And he uh, makes an emphasis as to how that rock is sacred. Uh, And the king, of course, uh, says, oh, we're sorry for offending you. We'll give it to you. Uh, But the king and Elrond converse after dinner. They talk about Mm -hmm. the legend that explains the origin of Mithril. Um, We get some kind of storybook like a reaccounting of it that to me just didn't work but that's just me on terms of uh just being nitpicky Um, i think it was stylized because uh as aaron said it's like apocryphal it's not it's a legend it's nothing like it's it's like a story they tell it's not confirmed that it happened right so they 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 did it as a fairy tale more or less yeah well uh the balrog balrog looked pretty good in it uh other than that i i just thought it's like okay well i know that you're Uh trying to tell the story you know it's like it's an old story being told and it's like old pages leaping up at you but i would have preferred to just see it in real time uh Uh but that's just me uh then gilgalad tells elrond that the dwarf is uh that keeping the secret that doran has told him uh, would ensure the doom of the elves. Uh, mm-hmm. And he shows Elrond that the great tree is decaying and has been. We find this out since before they sent Galadriel away to Valinor, actually uh, right before she arrived back in Valinor, which mm-hmm. means to me that the arrival of the meteor is not connected to the arrival of the evil, which once again, I say, does this, uh now make us think about and as you explained what who you think the stranger is this makes me this looks like two instances in the same episode where we're saying no the stranger is not a bad person um so i'm uh, much much more Matt, stranger now there is also like a theory that there are, there are two meteors and we just saw 
one with the stranger. So we don't know if everybody was seeing the same meteor. So that's like the big theory right now. So oh, so maybe there is an evil meteor someone somewhere. <laughs> We've only seen one side of the coin. Is always <laughs> yeah. Is a, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not into that. I I don't know yeah. why. I'm I'm just like I'm like you know if I, I that that's just speculation. That's not yes. theorizing. There's no evidence okay. to, to gather uh, for that. Witness speculation. Witness speculation. Um, unless you have access to some kind of source material that might say such as much, in which case you're just mm -hmm. spoiling people. Um, I'm not spoiling. I'm just saying it's a theory people are having. Well, no, 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 no. I wasn't accusing the, you of spoiling people. I'm just saying the that they, by doing this, uh, if they're like, using some kind yeah. of evidence uh, that are, it hasn't been, because it just hasn't been presented in the show. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, people like to grasp at straws and then pat themselves on the back when they get just a sliver of something right too. So um, that's that's the uh, that's the first take generation right there. Uh, anyway, Elrond says that they he will uh, not betray the secrets that he's learned from his friend and Gil Galad. Uh, ends up giving him a lesson about what hope actually is. It's not mirror. Uh, I actually really like this conversation. I thought that mm -hmm. it was fantastic uh, because you get a great sense of Elrond's soul, you know, what he believes in, what he, you know, in terms of keeping this oath. And as you said, keeping an oath is very, is very serious business in Tolkien's world. Uh, but I also love how when Gil Galad explains that, you know, if they don't do this uh, with them, if they don't get the mithril, that, you know, their whole culture will die, which Elrond has to explain to Durin later on. But um, just the, the the whole expression of, of what hope is, being the eye that is the last to shut and the first to awake any i just thought it was a great metaphor and i i absolutely love this conversation it was really intense and uh both sides of it were equally represented i loved it then we get to elrond um taking the mithril to celebrimbor who immediately tests it uh but he already knew about it he just uh mm -hmm. but it, it, nothing he can do diminishes the light um that is produced within the mithril so uh, it really feels like that this is something that is uh, descended from the lost Cimmerils, uh as Elrond's legend uh, that he recounts uh, states. But this leaves Elrond torn until Celebrimbor tells a story uh, because we know that Elrond has daddy issues, just like I do. Mm -hmm. uh, but it shows the similarity of the mission of Elrond's father to, to go ask for help uh, the first time around and what Elrond has to do now simply because they're the only people who could. Uh, uh, so I like that. And then as the elves uh, start to send the sacred table, the sacred table back with Durin, he admits that it was a scam. He just wanted a good piece of furniture, uh, something to bring home to the wife. Uh, but Elrond also admits that he, uh, you know, that the elves need the mithril and, uh, Durin agrees to talk to his own daddy. He's got his own daddy issues too about it. And uh, as they're coming to this agreement, 
Gilgalad is watching. Uh, <gasps> dun, dun, creepy. Dun. Very creepy. Yeah. I mean, did yeah. he just not trust Elrond? Does he just not trust Durin? What's going on there? Um, yeah. Um, there is a lot to unpack in this uh, storyline. And this is the storyline that has like some people that are readers are talking a little bit side-eyeing. Um, for why, what I understand, one, this legend that we were presented was a legend. Elrond himself doesn't believe it. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, Gil-galad is presented as someone that is very, very concerned about the elves in Middle-earth. Uh, he doesn't want to live in Middle, uh, leave Middle-earth because if this is true, and like the elves are, they take some sort of nourishment from the places they live, the trees that they uh, adore and so. And if the this environment is mm, poisoned by whatever is happening with the tree, uh, then it's true, like it, their only chance is to go back to Valinor because Valinor has like the, the care they need to care for their souls, for the fee, you know? Uh, and the, the, their souls are very important to the elves. You know? uh, they don't get physically ill, but their souls get ill, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, the problem is, and that's like, they said this three times during the conversation, this is a legend. This is not confirmed. Mm. Uh, we know canonically how the three Simalias are counted. One is with uh, Elrond's father. He took to Valino, Erendil. The other is with um, the other two are with uh, Feanor's sons, Meglo and Medros. One Medros, he basically jumped into a schism of fire. So it's in the bowels of earth and the other Meglo uh, throw away in the uh, in the water. So we have one in the air, one in the, uh, one in the fire element and one in the, in the water, basically. So they're all accounted for. So this legend is like just a story. What is important to notice is that um, there is something going on uh, that Kelimbrimbor seems to be invested in because Kelimbrimbor already knew about the Mithril. He already tested and he's, con he's convinced that it comes from uh, a Simaril because due to the qualities of the metal, which is mm -hmm. like durability, you know, uh, uh, it's very resistant, uh, uh, but it gives light. So it has like positive qualities of uh, of an elf and the negative qualities of the Balrog of the story, so to speak. Right, right. Um, but that's a metal. That's what that, that is their the qualities, and I, they seem to be aiming at that. Uh, this metal um, has some sort of protective quality to the elves. We know that Mitro is the uh, material which one of the rings of power is made it's mm -hmm. uh which is the one that galadriel has and funnily enough and that's why i think this storyline is going is that her ring has a restorative has uh has restorative protections which helps her keeps uh keep her uh forest 
Yes, that makes Rome sense because they did say in this episode that uh, they need the mithril to restore the light within them, right? Yes, yes. And also uh, Galadriel's ring, uh, he protects against evil. This is okay. true. This is canonically true. So if this uh, ring is made of mithril and has these properties, then we can ac actually extend these properties to mithril too. No, and we know for the trilogy that Galadriel keeps her uh her realm uh, far from the 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 shadow of um of Sauron because mm -hmm. she uses the ring. Uh, so that's what I think it's going on more than this legend. Okay, uh, they are just, just they just invented the legend uh as an origin to connect the the material to the similes to explain and to actually make it things more complicated in the Aaron Kalimbrimbor Gilgalad relationship. No. Okay. I think. So it's not confirmed. I don't think people should be losing their minds uh over it because it's not confirmed. And it might actually be one of the the things that uh Sauron is working on because he wants to sow despair into the hearts and minds of the elves of Middle-earth. No? So yeah. maybe Sauron is behind that. Maybe, you know, uh, we saw the, the cow in the first two episodes, yeah. Yeah. and we saw the, the leaf have the same um, kind of black substance. So right. somebody poisoned that tree. Yeah, yeah. It's it seems been... that, it, it seems it that they're all being... If, you're, if, if you're an evil lord, and the one the one race that could possibly defeat you uh you know or maybe an alliance mm -hmm. between several races you want to weaken them, them as much as possible yeah snuff them out as quick as possible in this way it's like because i the plan here is that they're what these elves are thinking is okay if we can't fix this or fix we ourselves we have to leave right yes. so there'll be mm -hmm. nobody to uh there'll be no great alliance like Galadriel mm -hmm. wants to to stop us Sauron from doing it, so it makes exactly mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, anything else about uh, elves and dwarves before we play our first round of what's worse? Mm, no, Duri is as always a loving, lovable dwarf. Elrond has poopy eyes. Kidding <laughs> boys, manipulative. Uh, he's always like uh, somehow every time Aaron has a doubt, he brings Aaron's daddy, no, like yeah. just to stick the gun, like the, the knife and twist yeah. it. Poke, and Gilgalad, yeah, and Gilgalad, I think he's trying his best, but he's doing a terrible job at trying his best. He's he he looked very creepy. I mean, yeah. I understand the guy. He's concerned about his uh his kingdom, his helm, and his people, but... Well, he's yeah. also concerned about everybody. He says, if we're not here, who's going to take care of the little guy? Yeah, yeah. People are people are focusing too much on Gil-galad trying to hurt poor little Aaron, but the stakes are so high there. There is yeah. no... He's a king. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's put this in terms of some what's worse questions. What's worse? What's worse, being forced to give up a beautiful dinner table to your guest or to have your friend not exactly fall for your attempt at emotional blackmail and not give you the mithril you so wanted? <laughs> it's a pill. 
I think, honestly, to God, losing a dinner table can be traumatic. Mm. Dinner, like furniture, like we can ask Baba because he's a homeowner, but anybody who has moved, like has bought an apartment or has rented or has moved, know that like furniture is very expensive. Yes. It's very expensive. And you, if you go to simply Ikea, give up, and, and then you cannot even like mount the whole thing. No, it's like very complicated. So coming into in the possession of good furniture is very difficult. So I think Durin had to do what he has, had to do. He had no other choice. And uh, Gilgalad will just have to contend with like looking at this empty, really, really empty place in his uh, three palaces. Everybody's just no? going to have to sit with little TV trays or uh, with chairs, TV trays and chairs, and sit around and eat. And you, we know that Gilgalad loved that that table so much that he remained sitting that like sitting in the table for a long time, even after he knew he had to give up the table, mm. like just you know enjoying the table so i feel for him i feel for him i i've been there and i think it's terrible okay so i gotta argue the other side and first of all i'm gonna poke holes in your argument uh because you had to bring up bubba and uh, let me tell you bubba's a millionaire he doesn't he's got he's got a table for a dinner table for every day of the week perhaps every day of the year and so uh, he doesn't he he's not worried about your stinking di dinner tables or whether he loses them in a move. Ah, we'll just make another. We'll just buy another. That's what Bubba says. So that's one reason. But I will say this also, because, you know, when you can't even get an underling, a half elf to obey your orders and to give up the stuff about the mithril no matter how many times you try to prod at them with daddy issues or whatever there is no way absolutely no way that that cannot be worse than just some simple little table that you can go down to the dollar store and get uh, a facsimile of no no we'll put it on the poll gentlemen yeah we'll put it on the poll you vote uh who is right here priscilla or I. Do we have any other what's worse questions? Uh, I think we have down uh, on the, the next uh, recap round. Next we have. Okay. Well, let's review the ones that we had from last week because I did get these out on the poll, unlike the uh, the prior episode where I didn't. And I I didn't put them on the poll this week, Priscilla, simply because I didn't want to lose that many times in a single week. But, <laughs> but. I happened to win one this week. Wow. Congratulations, Matt. We asked, what's worse, having a son kicked out of school because he can't stop listening to weird voices in his head or having your daughter going to dinner with the son of a would-be dictator? And 66.7% of you said the daughter, having the daughter is worse. That's the side that I argue. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. because I appealed to everybody's fatherhood instincts where, you know, you're not so worried about your son. You're more worried about your daughter, which is wrong, by the way. We should not be like that, but that's the way most of us are. And so that's uh, why I won, probably. The other mm -hmm. question was, uh, and uh, Priscilla made up for her loss there with a uh, really big bashing, that's a double B, of me. 
what's worse, spying on your friend in order to gain your father's favor, that's a double F, permanently, or tricking all of the du- all of the people into believing a tree that ha- has that many leaves? I'm not even sure why I posed that question in that way. <laughs> I'm certainly not sure why I argued for undepletable leaves, but spying <laughs> went over undeple- undepletable leaves 71.4% to 28.6%. Oh my gosh, that you just pounded me with that one, Priscilla. I mean, you you uh made the only real argument that was possible. That that's why nobody cares that about trees. Yeah, nobody Thank cares you. about trees. Um just, <laughs> just look at the way our world has turned out. Uh <laughs> to see that nobody cares about trees. Ah, we've got more What's Worse questions coming up after we do our second part of the recap. We still have the Southlands and Numenor to talk about. Priscilla, are you ready? Yes. All right. We'll start in the Southlands where Adar likes sunlight. But his organs mm-hmm. don't. I mean, they, you know, they, it's burning their skin, and he's just like, I, I just have to, you know, take this in because soon I'm going to be a god or whatever he thinks he's going to be, and there won't be any sunlight left, and uh, I want to be able to remember this. Oh, even though the memory will be painful. I mean, I, I'm really feeling for Adar here. You know, I, it's one of those things where I feel like Adar is just a misunderstood elf, um, just like I thought about last week as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh nonetheless uh he's told that the tunnel is finished and adar is ready to summon the legions uh because they're gonna head to the tower meanwhile at the tower brownwin 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 tells people about the offer uh that adar had sent uh mm-hmm. and uh you know with aaron deer as the messenger uh and then she gives her good first the first win one for the gipper speech of the episode <laughs> uh then uh you know she calls for them to to stand up and fight but Walter's not so with this he wants to <laughs> he wants to get out of there he wants he wants to take the easy path uh which he turns out is not so easy he takes a, a, you know he takes a considerable amount of people with him to just go and surrender half. he takes half this was hilarious like Valdrick has become my favorite character. Like last episode, he was talking about the beautiful servant of Morgoth, which is Sauron. And now he's like, hey, oh, Sauron, and took half of the people there in the tower with him. And I, then he might not even have found Sauron in, in the end, which is hilarious, like double hilarious. Amazing. You know what? I bet War. Uh, Waldrick wouldn't have had to go through all what he has to go through later if he'd had just gotten that hilt away from Theo, the oh, one that he originally true. had, and just brought it to Adar. Then uh, perhaps Adar wouldn't have been so quite so angry, because when uh, we have a little talk between Halbrand and uh, talking to Galadriel about the fact that he's a bad person, mm-hmm. and then uh, we see that those who Waldrick led from the tower is surrendering to Adar. Uh, Adar, but when Waldrig pledges loyalty to Sauron, uh, we get that doesn't like it. Yeah, yeah, we get a double A. A double A. Yeah, an angry, angry. Adar again. 
so he tells uh, he tells Waldrig uh, that he's going to have to. Or he basically uh, makes Waldrig sacrifice Rowan, the boy who is Theo's friend, to prove his loyalty uh, to him. The, it was, the boy is no more. The boy is no more. <laughs> uh, even though he didn't die on screen, I think it's it's pretty certain that R- Rowan didn't make it. Uh, me- meanwhile, uh, or maybe he's an orc now. I don't know. Well, something. Uh, meanwhile, Theo is uh, practicing <laughs> archery um, because he didn't go with Waldrig, even though Waldrig tried to get him to go. I don't know uh-huh. what Waldrig was thinking here. Waldrig was not very smart here. For <laughs> oh, Waldrig he, was high. He was it, high on something. I mean, he was just crazy. He's like, come on, come on, Theo. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Not even thinking about the hill. I mean, that's what this is all about, because uh, he, he wanted to meet the beautiful servant so much that he forgot about the gift. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, but Theo is stuck back at the tower uh, mm-hmm. and he's he's got his doubts uh, about his, his ability to do any archery. But now we get another win one for the Gipper speech. And this time. Uh, it comes from Aaron Deer, uh, telling him to get his aim up. Um, you know, I thought orcs were shorter. Uh, Theo's aim is just fine, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theo shows Aaron Deer the hilt that Aaron Deer wants, or that Ar- Adar wants. Pardon me. Adar, and, yeah. Yeah, and then Aaron Deer uh, just magically, suddenly, 200 years of memories of being at that tower. He recalls that there's a shrine there that's been covered with vines for who knows how long um, that it's it's a very intimidating looking shrine or, or something on the wall there. Uh, and he tells Bronwyn that the hilt evidently is some kind of key, uh, mm-hmm. something that uh, that I guess Adar thinks is going to help him become a god of some kind. Uh, but definitely, Aaron Deer thinks that it will. In, it's something that was used to enslave humans before, uh, and not only on top of that, but hey, there's a whole bunch of flames out there. What do you think those are coming at night? Oh, that's orcs coming their way. They could be just days away, or maybe even just hours. And uh, Bronwood starts getting kind of philosophical about evil, the evil mm-hmm. within man, and says, "Well, you know, what's the point? Let's just give up right here." And that's all despite Aaron Deer trying to convince her not to surrender. Um, she metaphorically says, this tower will fall. And then they look at the tower. And I think they stop thinking metaphorically about the tower uh, at that moment. That's the read that I got from it. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to push the tower over on the orcs. So maybe they will stay and fight. Uh, what did you think about this whole sequence in the Southlands? As I said, I, I was too preoccupied with uh, Valdrig and his hilarious ways for half of it. But I found in the end, like, Browning very compelling that she was, like, uh, not only having doubts, because that shrine, what it was portraying, basically, like, a, a blood sacrifice. Mm. Uh, from her ancestors and Aronji uh, and her, they already knew about the hilt and what, like, Theo's blood did to the, like, the effect he had it. So she basically, she was questioning why should we keep fighting if we are destined 
by blood if the blood our blood will be calling to to be together with Sauron. this is meaningless like i'm i'm bringing all these people to their deaths and Arundhi um was advocating for the choice that they are that she's making the choice itself it's already uh something that would work contrary to this uh blood of oath of the ancestors and in the despair that she they came to an idea that actually gives them hope so i really like it and but it's still valdrick was hilarious i i i'm really unhappy if valdrick will die i think he's a comic genius honestly i really like his delivery i really like his crazy energy. He he began the series being the the voice of reason of this village, and ever since they got out of that village, he's been going crazier and crazier. I love him. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I just think that you should apologize for being so uh, hard oh, on yeah. the double S. Um, yeah. Sorry, son. sorry, Teal. Sorry, Teal. Also, I completely forgot. Valdrick is so dear to me right now that I completely forgot that Teal. He made a good choice, and he had this bonding session with Arunji, and he opened his heart to Arunji, his new daddy. Um, and he delivered the hilt. So I, I, I was wrong. Now. I don't know if I will be wrong. For now, I apologize, but let's just let play this out to the end. Is what Priscilla is saying. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yes. For now, (laughs) we have apologized. I completely apologize, Theo, and I do this just for the same reason that Bronwyn would, uh, because there's no hope. And if you're going to become some kind of Nazgul or something that's going to kill me, uh, I'd rather apologize now so that you remember that I apologize so that maybe you won't kill me. So uh, forevermore, I, I like Theo. Uh, uh, well, until he until he, you know, tries to kill me, which yes, it's possible. possibility. Uh, mm-hmm. Nonetheless, although I did, those words didn't come out of my mouth. I didn't say such a thing. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I. So I guess we're coming just coming to the conclusion now that, you know, no, no. You know that Adar is not Sauron. Just, just in his own, he's in his own, uh, he's in yeah. his own world. He doesn't care about Sauron. He doesn't care about Morgoth. He doesn't care about any of that. He just uh, is just a greedy old fool. I think uh, Ada was a servant of Morgoth, either by choice or because he was uh, captured and tortured and turn into half an orc because he has these orcish traits. So yeah. maybe he was the first orc. That's why they call him father, no? Adam. Mm. Uh, and now that there is like a power vacuum that Sauron, nobody knows where Sauron is. Hint, I think Sauron is like, I think Sauron went to uh, Kelimbrimbor and Kelimbrimbor went to Lindo. And that's why we are having these elves having these stupid ideas, mm. no? Uh, so Sauron is traveling and working his magic around Middle Earth, and other look and say, "Oh, so the boss is out." No, right. so he's trying to to make a power like like and like power like grab the power there and uh, and 
using the affection the orcs have for him to do so. And he's running out of time and he knows it. So that's why it's imperative that he becomes a god. But okay. I think it's not going to help. Now, you uh, had presented a little idea here in the doc, something about the hilt itself. Arendir uh, mentions that it's a key, but what, mm-hmm. what, what you had an additional thought about what it might actually do? If we mention keys and uh, and we know that there uh, there is they have uh, they are next to Odrodruin, which is Mount Doom, no? and we know that the orcs they at this stage of their development they are not really keen on sunlight. Uh, so maybe like this hilt, what it does actually is, uh, just, you know, ignite some good old volcanic explosion. Okay. I don't, I have no idea how it will work or, but, uh, so you're you're saying that if, if Erendir calls it a key. You think it uh, needs to start an engine, and that engine is Mount Doom. I think Adar is very concerned about the sun, and the Tonos will not uh, give him what he wants. No, they are just a palliative measure for the the arts. So, okay. if he managed to uh, ignite Mount Doom, then not only the place will be desolated, but there there will be like this whole uh, Lots cloud of, of dust. Yeah. That yeah. will cover the sun permanently. So I think that's the end game for Ada. Wow. Yeah. But I don't know how it would work. How where you would why would you put this hilt? Well, how does it work? I have no idea. Yeah. Well the possibility. More than theory. It's yeah. an interesting theory. Uh I d I don't know uh exactly how it would work either, but let's keep all possibilities open for what uh this hilt might represent or what it might become uh in the future as well Mm -hmm. getting back to recap and let's go to numenor um and great preparation is being made for the exhibition but isildur was not part of the chosen to help prepare you Uh, mean expedition not exhibition right uh yes expedition pardon me uh but uh, Isildur wasn't chosen. And Elendil says that uh, he had a chance to prove himself, uh, but then he skipped class and, and dropped out of school. And that and so Isildur made the wrong choice. Aarian, this was surprising to me. She's the one mm-hmm. who comes to Kemen um, to tell his father, the chancellor, to stop the expedition. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming from Aarian. I suspected, I guess maybe she's just concerned about a brother and her dad. And she's worried they're going to get killed or something. Uh, because why the heck would she care? Uh, she she doesn't seem to care about them when they're out at sea. Um, I, hmm. It just seemed awfully weird. She, I guess she's been so buried in the culture, you know, designing buildings, designing whatever, uh, doing plans, running over people with mops and buckets. Uh, maybe... Uh, she she just thinks that this is a bad idea. Were you surprised by Aarian's reaction and that she's trying to recruit uh, a guy that she's had one dinner with and it was just okay uh, to help her uh, convince the chancellor to 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 stop all of this? 
Well, first, Cameron seems to be uh, taking her plea to uh, like great lengths, like going to great lengths to see that this comes true. Not only I think he agrees with her, uh, but he seems to be impressed by this only okay dinner you mentioned. So maybe uh, Arian did something nicer to him. I don't know. Uh, but that goes like the last episode we we were talking and I was mentioning that maybe they what they were planting the seeds was to this family to uh, have some sort of you know disconnection over disagreement over politics and like uh, we assume I or I assume that Kamen would be like that she would because she would fall in love with this guy that she would actually have her head turned to the the politics of this family, of Farazon's mm. family. But maybe she just simply does not believe that they should ever uh, align themselves with uh, elves. Maybe she, she believes that herself. We don't know. We never see her speaking about what she wants, what she doesn't want. Like, so at face value, we just, uh, okay, she's just worried about miss, like losing the family because she already doesn't have a mother. We don't know what happened to the mother. Uh, the other brother is probably in the Western shores. Uh, so Isildur and Elendil are all that she has left. Maybe it's simple as that. I would say no. She, I think, She's an architect, so maybe she's a little bit too concerned about not having buildings. Go off to and get build. in war. I'll never get this building built that I'm designing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe she's just like, I want to just complete my uh my education. This war is going to spoil everything. Who knows? I guess it's a possibility. I just, I just, just found selfish. it odd. I, I, when, as soon as she started, you know, uh, reacting the way that she did to all of this, I was just kind of yeah. like, wow, where's that coming from? Uh, it just yeah. felt, it felt unearned, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, it was one of my little... We mistakes. don't know her. Like, we don't know her. Maybe she is the bad influence on Kimmy. Yeah, maybe she is the bad influence on Kimmy. We yeah. don't know her very well. Um, she's yeah. been portrayed as somewhat um just normal otherwise uh, remember the first scene like her brother preferred to say hello to the horse than to her yeah that's true so maybe oh, they were telling that makes us her evil no she's placing a horse above she's <laughs> placing a horse above the, the her brother i mean uh any no, good animal her, lover does her brother that. her brother said hello first to the horse oh that's right and he not says to her hello first to... so, so maybe she's just carrying know. a grudge I don't know. Maybe the brother knows that she's evil <laughs> from inside. We don't know her. Okay. We really don't know her. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, Halbrand uh, has uh, earned him, him a job as a smithy assistant or a smithy aide, I believe, or eyed, as I believe that Galadriel calls him later in the episode. And, uh, uh, He's also seemingly an intelligence informant for the Queen Regent in Galadriel. At the same time, he's mad uh, that he's gotten called to the to the principal's office, uh, and he mm -hmm. thinks that Galadriel has used him, and tells her to find another king to back. He doesn't want to be king no more. Uh, Elendil and Galadriel uh, 
end up uh, trying to train some people up. And, uh, you know, uh, Valandil, that's Isildur's old buddy, and his fellow volunteers get kind of an embarrassing training session as Isildur is watching all of this happen. Uh, you know, isolated Isildur, a double eye. And Halbrand is watching as well. Then uh, Kimmon tries to convince his dad to stop the expedition, but uh, the chancellor sees the long game. He sees a money coming in if they do this right. And so that's a little more shallow than I expected Chancellor uh, Farazan to be, but that seems to be the way that he is. It's all about the dollar. Uh, so he, he would do really well on Wall Street. And, uh, you know, when everyone, uh, you know, is going to owe them money for helping them out, then, you know, that's what he's after. Now, the king, uh, who is up in the tower, tells his daughter, uh, the queen regent, that the kingdom is in danger, really. And then she says, no, it's not. No, it's not. But he tells her if that she goes to Middle Earth that all that waits for her is darkness. Ooh, gee, mysterious, weird. Uh, Isildur seeks out Valandir. And uh, when Isildur, you know, says he'll do anything uh, to get nominated because Valandir got promoted to lieutenant for, you know, scratching a single thread on Galadriel's dress, uh, then uh, he says, you know, punch me up once. And Valandir says, no, nah, we'll take two uh, and still not give you your prize. Uh, so Isildur has to become a stowaway. Just happens to be on a boat that Kimmon, who is worried that his dad is um, not doing things for the right reasons. Instead, he's going to be the patriot and he's going to blow the boat up using the alcohol that's in there and, and some fire. Uh, but that's the same boat that Isildur's in. So they have to fight. And naturally, the fight causes the fire to spread. Uh, and so the boat is going to blow up anyway, but they managed to get free, evidently, even though Isildur has to pull up Kimmon and, and save his life, more or less. But they get they get out. They get washed ashore. Uh, they get pulled out. They kind of cover for each other so that everybody looks good. And uh, that way, Isildur is going to get on to the... Uh, onto the boat that he wants to get on, but uh, Kimmon is also not going to get in any trouble for trying to blow up the boat. Mm -hmm. And then what we have is uh, Galadriel uh, and Muriel and Farazan arguing about whether they should go again or not. And the Queen Regent says, well, she'll make a decision in the morning, and Halbrand had better be there. Where the hell is he? Um, so Galadriel has to come and find Halbrand to tell him that she needs him. Uh, and she apologizes to him, but, uh, he tells her that he's a bad, bad person. And as he tells the story about, uh, bad things that he's done, even though he doesn't mention a single one, uh, that's when we see the Waldrig and gang, uh, basically starting to worship Adar, uh, thinking that they were worshiping Sauron. Uh, she tells him that she had thought that she was a bad person too, but that they have to go back to Middle Earth to fight uh, and gives him back his crest for him to think on it at least. Uh, then 
that night, evidently all night, Halbrand sits there on a stoop and thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks. Well, am I going? Am I not going? And he decides to leave the crest behind. And then he takes it back because Halbrand can't decide anything uh, except at the last minute. And so it's the, it's the put it down, pick it back up, last minute gag. Um, then we send off uh, the, the group with a big parade. Uh, Halbrand's in the parade. Um, and then, you know, everybody's happy. They're getting on boats. Aaron uh, is watching as daddy and brother go off to their new duties. And she is not happy. Uh, but Isildur has got a big smile on his face. Once he gets on the boat, he's going to have to earn a little more than tr just trust from his father as he did, uh, you know, as he did in his last post. Uh, he's going to have to he's going to have to perform a new duty for the ship. He's going to have to be a double S. Which we cannot say. Well, say. one of one of the words we cannot say we can. And the other? Uh, let's see. It would be uh, shuff, shoveler. So one of the words starts with an S and the other word is shoveler. He would be a bleep shoveler. Uh, but we can't say that word on the podcast, so we won't say it. Uh, Halbrand uh, is gets on the ship, and then he is waiting when Galadriel boards, and they have a big dramatic handshake. Uh, and for the second week in a row, we've had a big Numenorian theme finish uh, as three boats, not five, because two blew up, but three boats leave the harbor. Mm hmm Yes. Whew, lots to go on here. What do you want to talk about first? Well, um, like, okay. Uh, Farazon and his plans, you, you mentioned that they sound more shallow. No. Uh, what is happening, in my opinion, is as, as long as Miriel agrees that she, to play, play this whole, like that she's just like queen, but Farazon is the one calling the shots, as uh, his mm, son says. No, but the problem is with you, you are the one that people like support, not her. That at this point, he's quite content, but he saw an opportunity like to uh, expand Numenor's uh, power through um, imperialism or colonialism, I don't know, because uh, he has a plan uh, to collect tributes to uh, trade with the Southlands because the, the king of the Southlands will uh, owe them. This canonically, like uh, Numenor has been a power that has been in, uh, in Middle-earth for some centuries at this point, uh, where Farazon is. Meaning they have port cities and they have some uh, footholds there where they actually they are very imperialistic they they are very like not nice to the populations of Middle Earth they uh, collect exorbitant taxes and uh, you know they trade too much whatever so since that there there is a time compression in the story what they are getting at that. How uh, like uh, Farazon is going to be the beginning of their imperial imperial expansion. 
So mm. they are going to this photo. This I would assume may, would make him very more, much more popular in Numenor than. Yeah, and he is also sending volunteers because they know that this is not a uh, exactly popular. So volunteers, and we see that there are more volunteers than places now with Isildur and Elendil. So uh, the the place is divided. They're like half they want to go with, and the other half is against the the ex- expedition. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Kamen destroys two, uh, destroys, they were going with like 500 people and five boats, and now they're going to be dry boats, and they are not uh, full-fledged soldiers. So she's going with less people, and these people have not that much training. So it's not it's safe to assume that this war is not going to be very easy to win uh, yeah. this kind of uh, uh, numbers but they go anyway the other thing is Galadriel like people were complaining a lot because people were not uh, I don't know concerned with the fact that Sauron is actually back and that Galadriel is the only one trying to fight him. No, people were more concerned about she's not likable. So good luck, people surviving anything if you have this attitude in real life. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Galadriel and Halbrand, um they started like the episode Halbrand, um accusing her of manipulating him, using him. Mm-hmm. But uh, as the episode progresses, you can asking yourself if if it's not the other way around, if it's how Brandon's manipulating and using Galadriel. Well, because, how do you exp- uh, what what instance are you using for that? No, uh, like he seems to know instinctively how to press, how to push her buttons. Mm. He knows exactly what he has to say. To get what he wants from her, in terms of like her speaking to him, uh, in, at we saw her speaking to her supposedly best friend forever, Elrond, and he didn't get manage to get from Galadriel the kind of uh, confession that Halbrand gets. So Halbrand managed to to cross over all like her emotional barriers and. She apologizes to him and she is vulnerable, which we haven't seen so far much. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point is where like he still does he, he still does not want to give her what she, she wants, which is to go to Middle Earth again. But when he seems to get her exactly where she where he wants her to be then he kind of changes his mind and uh this is like uh, it's it's very sauron like behavior let's wow say. so you uh, think that halbrand might become sauron i don't know if he's already sauron i don't know if he's going to be the the one of the nazgul cool. i don't know I don't know, okay. but uh, like he seems to to know more about Galadriel. 
Mm-hmm. And when, there is this part where she she finally she, she speaks about her brother, how he died um, because of Sauron. And then uh, Halbrand says something like, I'm sorry. Like, he is sorry that Finrod died or he's sorry that he killed Finrod. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> that seems awfully circumstantial. Here's here's what I will say in response to that, because I'm not, I'm not I'm not down this. I'm not down this road yet. With no, Halbrand. no, 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 I, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm down. I'm just saying that, like, that's the story is. Always giving you this option. Yeah, but the story is Always. also giving you an alone shot where he's all alone and he's seriously considering what he's going to do. And then he puts it down in disgust and then changes his mind. And that tells mm-hmm. me that he's doing the right thing uh, okay. th- because it was done co- comedically. And that when anytime you put some kind of comedic thing in it, you don't have a bad guy have a comedic moment. You don't try to force. Now, maybe they're sending out a red herring. I'll give you that. It could be a possibility. But when I saw that scene uh, and I cursed it because it's like that's the oldest trope in the book. But Uh at the same time, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, this guy, this guy. Let's go. But maybe this is a kind of narrative that like maybe he did that for Galadriel's sake. No, maybe it's a theater. Maybe he's just like, I don't want it. was there to see him put the thing down and then put it back up. I don't know. What I'm saying is like uh, it seems to be very in league with what like Sauron is that he would like Numenor because we know that Sauron at some point he he's an like an advisor of the Numenorian king in, in Canon. So he enjoys Numenor quite a lot. So even this desire of staying in Numenor instead of like going to good old terrible Middle Earth is also something that Sauron would experience. And Sauron is attracted to power. No? Mm. So that's what I'm saying. They are always leaving this uh, window open for Halbrand. So I'm always 50-50. Oh, okay. It, can, okay. it could go either way with, with Halbrand. You don't have that with Ada anymore. Ada is like, he's he he's not Sauron. You don't have, Faldrek could be Sauron. I don't know. I don't know, you know. Uh, okay. Maybe Gil Gala is Sauron. Maybe who knows? <laughs> because I love it. We don't know who yeah, Sauron is, and the show is know. going to take way too long to reveal who Sauron is if I it's somebody that. that we know. Yeah. Uh, it, this is, reminds me terribly of the the whole thing that uh, Amazon did with the Wheel of Time thing, or it was like you read thirty pages of the first book of of Robert Jordan, and you know that Rand is is going to be the dragon. But I like that in the Wheel of Time. I think they extended too much, but I like that they kept uh, you like as an audience, like, okay. We I are think not, it was great for TV know. only people. I think it was very frustrating for book readers. Ah, okay. I understand. Um, yeah. that, but that's just my opinion. Uh, but I no, I do agree with you. For TV people, it was great. It could have been a little bit less, but you know, it's just yeah. like all you got to do. They don't know where to stop. Yeah, because yeah. they took a they took a whole scene with his father, with his father Out. having a fever and all that, and put it at the end of the season rather than you know where it mm-hmm. was in the beginning. And all you had to do was read that chapter, and you knew instantly that Rand was going to yeah. be somebody special. Uh, but but and, Rand at the beginning is such a bland hero. He becomes a very interesting hero. Rand is a mess. He's a kid who doesn't know anything about women, doesn't know anything about anything. Mm 
and yeah. and you know as the learning evolves, curve is like that yes yes how brand is the same no how brand knows a lot gonna be a great hero who will never have heard of in the stories because like, maybe he's like that Oh, you think learning. It's a down curve. I'm yeah. going. I'm going with the up curve with Halbrand. Okay. I think that I think that his past uh, really haunts him because he's probably caused some harm to people unintentionally. Maybe he's Theo's father. You believe that he's Theo's father? He draw. He left growling when she was ah. braggers. <laughs> well, no wonder Theo's such a mess. All right, let's get to our what's worst question here. What's worse? <laughs> yeah, okay, what's worse? Following an old man to your sacrificial doom or trying to spar with an elf? Okay, let's be real here. Following an old man to your sacrificial doom is the stupidest thing you could do. Rowan, what were you doing? <laughs> what were, were, were you... He didn't even have the hilt. I thought you hung out with Theo because he had the hilt, because he could find the hilt. That's how we met you. You you didn't like people anyway. You were hanging out with Waldrig when we first met you. So maybe I'll give you that. But, I mean, come on. The guy says, we must go serve evil. And you just jump on the bandwagon. And then, not only that, but you didn't ask him any questions beforehand. You could have said, do you know who this evil is that we're serving? Do you really know who this evil is that we're serving? No, you didn't ask any questions. You just show up and say, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Whoops. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to get the wrong end of that stick. uh, All because the old man is an idiot and doesn't even know who Sauron actually is. Yeah, so that's got to be worse. I mean, th- because mm-hmm. it doesn't just say something about you. It says something about the stupidity of the people you're following. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's why following an old man to your sacrificial doom is worse. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, I have to argue that it's trying to spare with an elf, spar with an elf, right? Uh, I think physically, I could see that. Obviously, an elf is... Most likely not stronger per se than you, but more agile. No, uh, has more time to train because an el- elves are immortal, so has like I don't know, hundred years on you experience to start fighting. No, or uh, and I, you know, f- uh, until now we have seen that elves they can be quite uh, petty. They can be a little bit uh, on the, the wild side, let's say. Uh, so I can see an elf not only being faster, more experienced and stronger than you, but actually uh, playing dirty. Mm. So, Did you see Galadriel playing dirty during that sparring? No. Yeah. She was kind of showy, though. I mean, if you're yeah. going to re- if you're really going to make a full demonstration and show how people need to do it, she needed to go ahead and cut off a couple of those heads where she stopped the knife, where she stopped the sword just short at the throat. She needed to just go ahead and follow through because then everybody would learn the lesson immediately. I think everybody would run away from her and not follow her to Middle Earth. Oh, well, there's that possibility, right? too. <laughs> Folks, we'll put it on the poll. And let you decide what's worse, sparring with an elf or following a friend to your sacrificial doom. 
We do have polls from last week. Of course, uh, none of these went my way. Uh, what's worse, defying your mom's wishes and turning orcs into the fact that you have a relic that they want or finding out that the former owner of that relic knows that you stole it and knows what that relic means. Wow. And, That's uh, weird. Close. Yeah, Priscilla, I believe that you thought it was about defying the mom is always worse, and you won. 57.1% agreed with you. The other poll. What's worse, being told to send a message of invitation that's a death sentence either way or being told about the place you grew up in a very creepy way by a very creepy elf? <laughs> now, no, that was fun. I made a wonderful argument for how Adar, and even in this episode, you can see that Adar loves sunlight. I mean, he's a good elf, yet for some reason you people think that he's creepy i don't understand why because really he was just punishing the kid this episode because waldrick is so stupid you gotta teach people how to learn things correctly and this is a good lesson for waldrick so i just don't understand the whole creepy elf thing but priscilla argued for the creepy elf and she won 62.5 percent uh said that the creepy elf was worse it was <laughs> all right priscilla thank you so much for joining me this time around I oh thank you for having me love your thoughts as always and i know that you already have a video out uh covering this week's episode of the lord of the rings and i can't wait to watch it myself uh, uh -huh. completely uh once the uh captions come up so that i can scroll them because they are in portuguese but people you should subscribe to priscilla tv simply because mm -hmm. Her thoughts are really good, and they translate real well in that auto-translate for the closed caption. So use it and listen yeah, to her like... smart thoughts because they're really smart, and uh, you should you should do that. You should also contact us with any thoughts that you have about the episodes because I know that you are smarter than me, uh, and so therefore you can definitely uh, tell me what I got wrong in this particular episode. Priscilla, are you doing every week? with universal 42 or however that is said in in portuguese oh yeah universal 42 uh i'm doing like fridays i watch the the episode okay and then i i gather my thoughts which take five minutes <laughs> uh, <laughs> i hope more than that just a, just a little more no no, oh, you're the, I, you just I, process everything that fast. Okay, like, now I get it. Yeah, it's like immediate. They come here, and I process it and I put it out. Um, so usually, um, like it take a lot uh, editing, but it's it's always on Friday. So Friday it's the episode. Friday I have the review of the episode, and Friday we do the recording of the podcast, and Saturday. Uh, I go to Universe 42, this other channel, and uh, I spend an hour, an hour and a half, whatever, like discussing the episode with my friend Carlos there. So, oh. and it has been very fun. Um, but that's the the schedule of my channel, basically. All right. Well, that's Priscilla TV over there. I had to point at myself to make sure that my finger would be pointing in the right direction. You did that immediately because you're an experienced YouTuber, unlike myself. And I'm Matt. Thank you so much for joining this time around. Remember, Priscilla is smarter than you.
part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.